Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we're talking about the things that are weighing in our minds. I am Don Marshall, a chubby guy living in Los Angeles, and I am a house elf. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> like the elf in the shelf house elf? Yes, because I, I really want a pair of socks right now because my feet are cold. Oh, oh, I feel like you should have solved that before we started recording. I know, but I'm not wearing pants, and I figured, what the hell? Let's just keep the ensemble. All right. <laughs> you know, it, it might be the pants, Don. It might be. My knees feel <laughs> lovely. It's my feet that I'm concerned about. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm Dan Oliverio. I'm a chubby chaser. And um, yeah, it is, it, it, is, it is house time, isn't it? It's, it's, it's all about house. You stay in that house, and you like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Trevor Kizan. I am a super chub and I am uh, fully dressed, including <laughs> socks. Um, I was a good boy. I showered this morning and got dressed and now I have nothing else to do today. <laughs> <laughs> you blew your wad at the beginning of the day. You can't do that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I'm cleaning uh, a couple toilets today, so that's a thing. Wow. Are you are you cleaning the bidets that you wisely have on your toilet? Yes. Uh-huh. Well, they have a little a self-cleaning nozzle. That's true. I did that yesterday. I'm Michael. I am a chaser, and I am also <laughs> fully clothed and showered, and you can call me Mini Mikey the Cute One. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yes, it's going to be that kind of a day, so buckle up, everyone. It's going to be that kind of a three to four months. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. How are you feeling, Trevor? Uh, I'm good, I guess. I'm uh, <laughs> so we're we have a weird recording setup, so no one heard this, but Mike will hear it when he's editing. I just very loudly pulled my uh, my outline out from under my laptop, <laughs> um, and I think this is the first time I've ever been aware of all the noise I'm making. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm only- I'm it only is. catching about 70 or 65% of what you're saying. So you pulled something out from somewhere. That's all I know. Yeah, he's he's able to hear himself is what's happening. Uh, the options would be more more diverse if he wasn't wearing pants like I'm not. <laughs> well, <laughs> that ends the pantsless portion of this episode. So. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> don't you judge well me. What's the point of working from home if you can't work pantsless? I fair point. Although having worked from home for the last four and a half years, I have to say the number of days that I spent pantsless is directly proportionate to the number of days I was unhappy at home. So <laughs> you you connect those dots for me. <laughs> so are Michael, you're saying you're trying to flatten the curve of uh depression in relation to pantslessness? Yes, exactly. I am managing my own uh self quarantined uh under undergarments and bits. The question is, is your pantslessness relationship to your sorrow your uh, uh, correlational or causal? Oh, well, I mean, I was going for causal, but I guess I can't really prove that. There you go. Yeah. Pants cause happiness. <laughs> it's uh, It sounds like we have to get back in the big fat gay wind tunnel and uh, <laughs> run some tests. <laughs> so what's everyone watching this week or last week or... Time is a, a flat circle now. Time, <laughs> time, time is meaningless, and it's all cyclical anyway. Well, I've been watching Picard. I just finished. Uh, Interesting. The run of the, the series. What about you, Dan? What have you been watching these days? We have been watching a lot of "Are You Being Served?" the nineteen seventies British comedy. Nice. Yes. It's just so light and frothy and easy, and uh, just perfect. Just perfect for wiping your mind. <laughs> I've also been uh, putting on a lot of um, Vicar of Dibley starring Don mm-hmm. French. Um, love that show. Which is, oh, I just love it so much. Everyone should watch Vicar of Dibley. Um, you have to get it through BritBox on Amazon, which I was glad to do because I love Vicar of Dibley. Um, and uh, Michael, are you watching anything? Um, to be honest, I I haven't been watching much, although... Um, Julia, Max, and I went and we, we, we were trying to figure out what movie we wanted to watch. And it was, it was a long and arduous process. <laughs> and uh, we finally settled on one of two choices. And the first was uh, The Princess and the Frog, um, which is on Netflix and probably also uh, Disney+. Plus. Huh. And the second choice was, oh, what was it? Oh, it was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah. Um, so a little bit of movie comfort food. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, so Trevor... Uh, do we have a lizard watch today? 
Oh, we do. Oh, hell yeah. It's <laughs> Trebek Watch. <laughs> uh, so this week, um, or I guess it was, it was on the last week. Once again, time is a flat circle that has no meaning anymore. Um, <laughs> so Jeopardy is still going through its um, pre-recorded episodes. And there was just an episode that aired where Alex Trebek kind of sang uh, a, a question that was a Lizzo lyric. Hmm. Uh, lyrics for a thousand. Her new man on the Minnesota Vikings, Truth Hurts, needed something more exciting. Bum bum be dumb, be dumb bum bay. Who, Evan. Who is Lizzo? Yep, and I did it exactly like she does, didn't I? Alex Trebek performing Truth Hurts, um, <laughs> which is just the perfect weird thing we need right now. It's just kind of this... Uh, it's as weird as everything going on, but in a comforting way. Yeah. I don't know, she's she's living her best quarantine life. She is uh there's a great picture of her butt that she posted. <laughs> uh she's on um the cover of Mary Claire. I think Mary Claire Mex oh no, Ma- uh, Mary Claire Brazil. Oh no. Nice. Uh, looking fabulous. She's still giving us nourishment in these times of uncertainty. <laughs> and Alex Trebek is too. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to, I want Alex Trebek to do the choreography though. Come on. Yes. <laughs> Alex Trebek uh, dancing in front of the giant inflatable butt. <laughs> a friend of mine showed me, I actually shared it on Facebook today, but I somehow missed that. Uh, I mean, so Liz, uh, Lizzo was on SNL a few months ago and um, uh, AD, AD Bryant did, I guess, a follow up to her Cardi B video um, where she basically like channels Lizzo and it is the funniest freaking thing i have ever seen in my entire life i was dying and uh, i highly recommend Um, going and checking that out it was uh cut for time which some of the skits that they post online that are cut for time are the best like i know they are so good and i don't understand why they get cut i guess maybe because it's like pre-recorded so they just it's, try and guess like what is good and what isn't, but she, it, the whole thing is just packed with like fantastic quotable lines, mm-hmm. and it, it was a lot better than the Cardi B one, I, I would say. Yeah, but yes, Ad Bizzo and Lizzo definitely check it out. So I was thinking, um, since we are all in quarantine and we are seeing the world through our windows and through television and having a little bit of distance, it reminded me a little bit of sort of my first crush. So long ago. Um, Looking from a distance. They see, Yeah, admiring someone from a distance, not really sure what to do about it, all that sort of thing. And that made me think back to uh, what some of the stuff that Dan and Michael talked about, about sort of not realizing their attraction until they had sort of a, a first crush later in life or that sort of thing. Mm. Or maybe that's me putting words into your mouths. Like, I'd say for me, that's accurate. I don't know. Dan, what do you think? I'm not sure I got that. that uh, uh, what about a first crush? So I had my first crush when I was like eight or 10 years old, something like that, mm. on a high school boy um, whose name I can't even quite remember. I remember his last name was Bennett, but... Uh, <laughs> Let's look him up on uh, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I didn't know what to make of that. Like the feelings were very strange and unusual and I didn't know what to make of it. Uh, but I was eight to ten, so I think a lot of emotions are strange at that age and confusing. Uh, so I'm kind of curious, like Michael, at what age were you when you had your first crush, and <laughs> did you were you equipped to deal with it and that sort of thing? <laughs> uh, well, I can answer that last one with a resounding no. Um, <laughs> I so it, it's sort of a the first crush I remember having. It was on a a I was I think I was thirteen. And it was on a very sort of chubby, tomboyish girl who I had spent uh, sort of a summer camp with and uh, subsequently never saw again. It was very heartbreaking. And uh, but that was sort of like a kid crush. Like, I think that was equivalent to what you were experiencing at, you know, eight to ten. But my first real crush was when I was a freshman in high school. um, And the first day of classes, I... uh, it was a long day and I, I hated school at the, at the time and I was exhausted and I go into the last period, which was English. And, uh, the teacher comes in and I 
think my jaw actually hit the floor um, <laughs> or if it didn't like it hit the desk on the way down like i was so uh people must have been staring at me because i was so obviously like struck uh his name i don't know maybe i shouldn't say his name i guess it doesn't matter his name was mr gillespie and uh he was this super super cute um a little bit more of a he was like a mix between a bearish type and a sort of a cherubic chubby type um and i think he was 24 25 ish and uh i spent the entire year just like dreaming from afar that one day he wouldn't get married to his fiance and somehow we would <laughs> end up I'm, end up having I'm now other. imagining like a junior high age michael sitting in the back of a church <laughs> <laughs> It's like, does anyone object? He's just like, me! <laughs> Do you want to know another truth that's stranger than fiction? Not only did mm-hmm. we get invited to his wedding that summer, but I totally went to it. Along oh, with other, <laughs> <laughs> Along with other people. I had made my peace by that point. I had, uh, we weren't allowed to, uh, basically what happened that year was I was just starting to sort of hit my stride in that high school. I was a little new to that school. And then uh, it turned out I couldn't, t- couldn't return the next year. Um, for a few reasons. And so I, I discussed that was told to me about halfway through the year when I was just really, really feeling good. Mr. Gillespie was the, um, the goalkeeper coach on the varsity soccer team. And I was sort of on track to be the next varsity goalkeeper. And I was so excited about that. And he was English teacher for all of the classes. And I got, I was like, I had it all planned out. You know, like when you have your life sort of set and you're like, this is, <laughs> this is how it's going to go. And then, uh, couldn't come back the next year. And so I had the re- like the second half of the year to just like go through the various stages of grief and then finally got a sort of a send off trip to New York city where the whole class went at the end of the year and randomly got assigned to his, uh, chaperone group. And so I get to sort of spend a couple days in New York city trailing him around and he gave me the best compliment anyone had ever given me at the time um because i was walking at the back of the group and he said that um he liked that i walk slowly and I like, <laughs> <laughs> oh I and I, michael i bet that made your little heart just flutter oh and swell you have no idea i was like <laughs> I, was, I was soaring in the clouds I and bet. i got to sit next to him on the train it was the best oh. and it was very very, it was a lovely sort of way to, and then so when I, by the time I got to the wedding, it was, I was in that sort of acceptance phase as sort of evidenced by you know the reception afterwards. Um, I went up to him and I couldn't say a word to him all year if that wasn't already obvious. Like I was mortified to even look at him in the eyes, and finally at the end, I I went up to him and shook his hand and I said, I hope you guys are very happy and have a you know have a great future, whatever it was I said, but get to say goodbye and then subsequently never saw him again (laughs) until until one afternoon in paris (laughs) sitting at a cafe (laughs) i look up from my newspaper a knowing glance (laughs) so your your experience sounds sort of uh like i i can I, i get that but it sounds sort of like any early uh crush yeah Oh yeah, yeah. But mine is it, completely I just feel not like, it, like that. <laughs> what was oh. yours? I'm curious. What, what was yours, Dan? Well, you see, it didn't make any sense to me. I was pretty much asexual for most of those years. I didn't even know I was gay till I was twenty. I knew I was into fat when I was five, but I didn't know I was gay till I was twenty. And the intervening years were it just nothing made sense because I was pretty sure I wasn't into girls. And I couldn't be gay because you look at all these gay guys in these gay magazines. I knew what gay was. We lived next door to gay guys. And, you know, I wasn't attracted to thin gay guys either. Remember, it was the 70s. Right. So, you know, I'm not into men, not into women. Well, I guess that makes me asexual, you know, before there was that term. And it wasn't until my, but, but I would still like, but fat was really fascinating to me. I just didn't know anything to do about it. (laughs) And, um, it (laughs) was, and I, I, I think if, the first time I really became aware of it was not until maybe strongly grad school where mm. there was this uh, just huge, soft, doughy, handsome, redheaded guy. And that was my jaw hit the floor moment. And <laughs> I did not, I did not know what to do about it. 
by that time I'd figured out I was gay, but I'd like never been on a date. And, and also it was like, oh, this isn't sexual. He's just really fat. And that's just really super interesting. <laughs> and, and, um, <laughs> so it was, I, I, I have since become Facebook friends with him. Um, many, 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 many years later and nothing, nothing happened. And I, I don't, I told him a version of this that was much more PG, but <laughs> I guess this is pretty PG to begin with, but it was, it was that first, like, Oh my God. And just, I remember, you know, just like how the light hit him when he was sitting at this particular table in this particular <laughs> building and like, Oh my God, Oh my God, indelible in my mind. But yeah, yeah I wasn't 13 I was 23. <laughs> That's interesting, though. Like, so you were aware of one half of your sexuality before you were able to sort of implement all of it at once. Yeah. And like a lot of chasers, and especially if you have, if you're a chaser and there's a, also a kink attached to it, like any encouraging or BDSM, that mm-hmm. you, it really messes up your sense of, uh, of being able to look out at the world and knowing what's what. Because what you're feeling doesn't correspond to anything else, anyone else is feeling. And you just feel, at sea. I know I did. And that's a lot of what I talk about in my book. But yeah, I knew I was into fat. I just didn't think fat was sexual because we're always taught that it isn't. Yeah. Interesting. Now, and both of you also had sort of a eureka moment where like all of a sudden everything comes together and you have suddenly realize, oh, this is what I've been missing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Violins swell and the horn section plays in the back. Yeah, that was definitely my epiphany about being gay. That came to me literally in a dream. Really? <laughs> yep. That, please tell me about that because that oh, wasn't so my experience, mild. but I'm it's fascinated. So ridiculously, again, you know, it's it, a lot of us are just so far behind the curve because we have so much more stuff to work out. So my the dream I had when I was 20 was nothing more than like me helping the neighbors move, and I was picking up boxes and moving. And at one point, I hugged one of them, and then I had this thought, like, "Oh my God, what if his partner sees me?" And then he came up and hugged both of us, and that was my big epiphany. It's completely PG rated and not interesting whatsoever. But I woke up the next morning, was like, "Oh, gay, got it." (laughs) (laughs) And I remember being so disappointed. Remember, so this is like sophomore year of college. I was home for the summer, and I remember thinking, you know being a little disappointed that I wasn't bisexual. And then it occurred to me, because, you know, both, right? And then it occurred to me, well, you know, straight people are considered normal and they're not bisexual. So I kind of got over that. And then I did what any good geek would do. I went to the library and researched the hell out of it. (laughs) (laughs) That is the most Dan thing you will ever hear today. (laughs) So Trevor, how about you? What was your first, uh, what was your first crush? Do you remember? Uh, I mean, Looking back, I remember what it was, but at the time I was not like, it wasn't clear what it was. Like it was, it was definitely my best friend in first grade. Um, Hmm. and having this feeling of like, I remember it was, uh, I think my seventh birthday and he slept over and it was just like a great time and being like, (laughs) trying to like parse away. Like when we get married, we should get (laughs) married together (laughs) <laughs> and like we'll live next door to each other maybe and like <laughs> just like this like you're almost there you're getting close <laughs> um and then kind of once i i realized i was gay around like 12 or 13 um and then i realized like oh that's that like deep fondness uh, I have for my friend. And actually almost immediately after I was gay, I found out about um, the whole chip chaser thing just from, you know, Google porn, mm-hmm. like looking at porn and realizing like, I don't like, it's hard for me to insert myself into that because I don't look like that. Mm-hmm. And then finding, um, I remember it was um this chaser's, AOL homepage or whatever they called those, but it was like chub chaser, like porn stories and stuff and some pictures. Um, and actually ended up meeting the guy at a chub chaser event like years later. And I think I like said to him like, Oh, I remember finding your website when I was like 12 and him just kind of be like, Oh, <laughs> 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 so then um, that was like 
another piece in the puzzle, but it also made it hard because I'm like, oh, I know that there is this very specific thing that most people probably aren't part of. And then, you know, I still had this huge crush on my best friend and puberty hit him especially hard. He had facial hair and abs in eighth grade. Jeez. I was surprised he was still friends with me because it was very clear, like, he is a jock and I am like an outcast of the nerds. (laughs) And there was this one moment where we were, uh, it was rehearsal for the eighth grade play and we were sitting and he just turned to me and he said, feel my abs. And he lifted up his shirt. I was just like, this is some kind of trap. This is, I don't know what this is. This is, I'm like, no, I don't want to. And he took my hand and put them on his abs. And I just remember being like, trying not to explode. (laughs) Um, Poor little baby Trevor. Yeah, that was uh, rough. And it was like, it was Catholic school. So there was this other like... (laughs) I don't know, intensity to the the fear of people knowing I'm gay and then the fear of like my friend finding out. Hmm. But it was kind of like knowing about the whole chip chaser thing so early was kind of difficult because there was this awareness of, oh, you know, there are people that are attracted to me, but now I have to try to find them. Yeah. Hmm. I remember having that sort of sensation, too, of like, oh, okay, there's a place for me, but it's not where I am. Yeah, that was that was definitely my experience too. But it it, it took me a while to get to get there because I had I mean I had a very similar sort of I'm, Trevor and I are almost the same age. So you know he he and I I think we're both sort of as soon as you have some of those feelings you go online and you figure it out. And so definitely discovered kind of what I was into through you know different websites and porn and you know a couple embarrassing moments because there was a shared family computer that we don't need to get into too much but (laughs) (laughs) um it's not as bad as you're thinking (laughs) but i (laughs) that was my only access to like cute hot guys because and i I, this only really like struck me recently but it occurred to me that there were no like up to the point that I was a freshman in high school where I told you about Mr. Gillespie, there were no fat guys in my life, my age or otherwise, like none, like maybe people you would sort of see out in the world, but nobody that I would ever have talked to or, and, and even other kids, my age, for whatever reason, there were, there was like, I mean, I felt like the fat kid because I wasn't the skinny kid. And that, that sort of shows like how, weirdly skewed the demographics were where well, I and, and but michael that is incredibly common for a lot of chasers i hear that over and over again of a lot of chasers they just don't know any fat guys where are these fat guys you speak of uh and and sometimes they feel like the fat guy so yeah you're, you're so not alone in that yeah that's interesting I mean, that's super relatable and it took i wonder what my teenage years would have been and how different they would have been if i had had somebody like my age that I was interested in that I could have potentially like experimented with and kind of gotten those typical teenage things out of the way earlier. Um, because my development got delayed by like five and a half years. Yeah. I was just going to say on that fact, it's very typical chubs and chasers are usually about, usually about five to 10 years behind the curve of their straight section of their straight heterosexual, uh, normie, uh, cohorts. Mm -hmm. And if you've got that plus kink, it can be 10 to 15 years behind. Yeah. Which leads into one of the questions that I was, that I've wondered about myself. So like, uh, my type definitely sort of follows off of that kid Bennett that I mentioned earlier, right? Mm -hmm. Like I tend to like sort of leaner athletic to average weight type guys, you know, specific look characteristics that he had the, uh, you know, blue eyes, blonde hair, all that stuff. So I was curious if like my type came out of my first crush. Or if my first crush was because I had a type, right? And it sounds like like listening to you and Dan, like you had the opportunity to sort of formulate another type if that was the way it worked. What do you mean? What do you mean another type? So if if you developed your type based on the people that were around you, then you would not be chasers, right? Right. It sounds like your type existed independent of your experience yeah. at that point. Yeah. The, the love yeah. map is formed. John Money, the sexologist, talks about how our landscape 
of sexual attraction, which, which he calls uh, a love map, is formed. And he says, like a landscape, it's partially the innate conditions. Like if you look at a landscape, you know, there's more granite there or there's more sand there or there's a beach nearby. But it's also what the human being undergoes again in a landscape, like how much traffic is there, how much uh, mm -hmm. seismic activity is there. So it is definitely a, uh, a combination of nurture and nature. Interesting. That's actually a really, for me, at least as a visual person, it's a really clarifying way to put it. That's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. So Don, um, what, tell me, I'm curious, tell me more about your, your first crush Bennett was there, or maybe like in your teenage years, did you have somebody that you were actually able to like, talk to or do anything with or how did that develop well i grew up in a ridiculously small town right um my graduating class had nine people in it whoa um <clears throat> that's that's not small that is like microscopic <laughs> like get out the electron microscope <laughs> yeah I, I can relate my high school graduating class was 43 my my town was a uh, we had a post office a bar and when I went back after college, they had added a stoplight. Wow. So it was a big deal. It was a big deal. <laughs> I'm just imagining you slamming uh, on the brakes. <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> Where the hell did this come from? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Bennett was this kid that was on the school bus line. I always got picked up super early, like 630, 7 o'clock in the morning, and the buses would just drive around in circles grabbing other kids. Uh, and then we got close to school. This tall, strapping athlete boy would get on and, I always had eyes for him. As soon as he was on the bus, I always knew. Mm. Uh, yeah, I would always wanted him to sit next to me, but uh, no, I was I was relegated to the midsection of the bus where uh, it was always full by the time he got on. Mm. But yeah, so I never spoke to him. He never knew my name. He went to a different school than me. Mm. I've always been really interested in the idea of types because, I mean, obviously it's really easy for other people to kind of look at me and go, oh, well, we know his type. But as Dan and I have talked about like that's that's really not like you can't just throw every yeah, fat just because guy. you're a chaser doesn't mean you're sexually attracted to every fat person in front of you no. right and on the flip side just because you're not a chaser and you're into other certain kinds of people like i feel like there's a lot of offense that certain people take to the idea of a type like oh well you should just be an equal opportunity into everybody like whoever's a good person <laughs> and i feel like that's sort of like reductive and oversimplifies human sexuality and <laughs> You know, like just that's the Star Trek universe version of attraction. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> when I get my seminars, you must and be I, attracted to all people. When I get my seminars, and somebody will will talk about like you know, oh, I would, I would, you know, and anyone who loves me would just be fine. It's usually someone who's never been in a relationship and is desperately seeking one. Hmm. And it often is they don't have a lot of practical experience in attraction, or certainly like having more than one attraction. Like they've never managed that. Uh, like, you know, they like this person because they're really hot in bed or they like this person because they're really great in a conversation. They've often never managed that. And so the complexity of what they're describing, they have no experience of. Hmm. My, something that I've come across in, in my life, and maybe this is just me being a defensive person sometimes, but I, I've, I feel like you can never really truly explain your choice of partner to another person and have them get it. Like maybe people will get close, but I, I have found that a lot of times you just kind of have to like own your own truth because other people aren't necessarily going to validate that for you. Um, a lot of that comes from uh, the fact that I have dated older guys large pretty, pretty, much, pretty much my entire life ranging though. I mean, I think the, you know, j there's a pretty broad range of like just a few years older to like, you know, 25 years older, kind of similar to Trevor and Dan. So and to me, that's not really a barrier and it's not a requirement either. It's just, it just is. Um, but other people look at that and go like, oh, well, you're clearly into older guys. It's like, yeah. well, I don't know. I mean, I can be, not always. Well, and you see that a lot with chubby chasers too, where the opposite takes place, where they don't date whom they really want. They date who their friends really want them to date. That they, they put a lot of mm -hmm. stock in who they should be dating and tend to, you know, shop in that store, you know, tend to look in that pool. I admit I have a tendency to do that too. When I'm with a guy, um, I have been with multiple guys where I've looked at them and like they're pretty and they're lovely and then they open their mouth. <laughs> and I'm just like, I cannot introduce this person to my friends. This person will never mix with them either for, for whatever reason. And that's sort of a, it's a strike against them. I don't know if that's, uh, I mean, I'll still well, hang out with them one-on-one, -on -one, but. 
I would say that's probably also representative of how you inter like how like how you take them because you you've by this point in your life you've picked very specific close friends that are your friends for a reason. So if you're having a reaction to the guy when he opens his mouth, like that's that's just not going to work for you either. Regardless well, yeah, but, of I mean, mouth. I have to say yeah, that, that's true. I, I am a person who tends to build forever friends. But I mean, so. Trevor and I went through this a lot. I think Trevor will agree with me. One of the big obstacles that Trevor and I faced, even like, are we going to make a go of this? Was that, you know, our, our friend groups are really, really not the same. Would you agree, Trevor? Hmm. Yeah. Well, especially when I feel like when... We started dating um, oh, yeah. because I, you know, we were in such different points in our lives. So our friends were in different points in our lives. And there's 24 years difference between us. Yeah. Um, so just trying to bring those two worlds together was initially a challenge. And I remember feeling what Don felt, which was like, oh, my God, how am I going to introduce him to my friends? This is not going to work. And then I just began to appreciate qualities about Trevor that. I mean, I, I never valued these qualities before because they weren't my qualities. And mm-hmm. I had to, I just started to appreciate like, oh, wow, that does work. It's just not the way I do it. It's not the way I communicate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Trevor and I can, <laughs> we've had some very interesting outings either with my friends or with his friends where it's like, okay, maybe, maybe we don't need to do this together. <laughs> I'm, thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of this. I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, where Trevor was with a couple, was with me and a couple of my high school friends. And, you know, we, the conversation naturally, you know, drifted into the politics of international opera production. And, yeah. As, as, it, as, as I was just like sitting there, like staring at the table, like, I wish I had some crayons right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, I've been in, and I've been with Trevor and Trevor just comes so alive when he's with his, with his homies and his friends. And I feel like, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm dad at the play date, you know, <laughs> or, I mean, I'm thinking of when, uh, this was, uh, last year at my birthday, <laughs> we were going around little Tokyo and Dan was, Oh yeah. After like one store, he was like, so done. And then after three stores, he, he was like, can I go home? <laughs> <laughs> because they're all into anime and they're all into this Japanese stuff. And I had no touchstone for this whatsoever. Uh, and I'm like, I think I should probably just let you guys have an amazing time. <laughs> and that's but a, I think that's healthy. Yeah, like, yeah it is too. too. I know way too many couples that just insist on doing everything together. And it's like, oh, wow. and then oh, fighting man. about it. And then fighting about it. What the hell is the point of that? Yeah, I have a, a story. So my uh, uh, I, I was living in Chicago at the time. My family all lived in downtown Chicago. They came from the suburbs on the train. They both got really drunk. And they were getting on a bus to go back to the train station. My uncle stepped on and the bus pulled away. He was holding my aunt's purse that had my aunt's cell phone, all of her money. And they were like, are very codependent. And she was just this kind of like drunk sobbing mess. Cause she just was like, so like, I don't know what to do with that. My husband, he's not here. What am I going to do? I just, and like, kind of drunkenly sobbing about this to homeless man who <laughs> gave her money <laughs> and oh is like, God. I like, I will help you get home. Um, that is- and they have become even more codependent since that horrible event, not realizing like, Oh, maybe like we should both have cell phones. Mm. So Michael, uh, it looks like you have a tip for us this week. Yes, for the first time ever, I am contributing. <laughs> um, in kind of a strange way, I have been weirdly well prepared for this kind of, you know, self-quarantine isolation that we're all putting up with right now. Um, I work as a freelance video editor um, for the most part. And for the last four years, I've pretty much just worked from home uh, besides odd project here and there. So until I moved in with Julia and Max very recently, I was living by myself and working from home in a pretty isolating place um and it it became this sort of like marathon of managing my own sort of like health and mental health and you know sanity and just like it you know if you live by yourself in your home all the time you have to really enforce your own rules and become somebody who takes care of themselves which you know for me for a lot of people that's not an issue for me it is kind of an issue and so i kind of came up with these 10 
tips and I shared them on my Facebook page um, and we can share them as well on the website and some other some other social areas so you can see them. But just quickly running down the list, these are kind of my 10 tips for taking care of yourself and you know maintaining your own sanity while we're all stuck at home. And hopefully these will, will help you guys. And uh, feel free to <laughs> jump in if you have any things that pop up because I know the first one is gonna be uh, definitely, I, I have, well, self-care, always shower in the morning. <laughs> That's the first one. Um, brush your teeth even if you're alone. Put on deodorant. Dress and groom yourself like you're about to walk out the door. That, for me, was so vital because it was the way that I could prepare mentally to work. But I think also in times like this where you don't have any reason to do any of those things necessarily, it is still really important to to manage your own kind of space and body and mental, mental health because that is going to give you some semblance of normalcy, which I think we all could use. So Trevor talking about like showering this morning and now he doesn't have anything left to do today. <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's kind of relatable. Um, and I, I know that I've talked to a couple of people who are like, Oh yeah. Oh, my older sister actually was like, you know, it's embarrassing how, you know, cause she's been doing this in Seattle for like almost a month now, um, or maybe like three weeks, three and a half weeks. And she was like, it's embarrassing how long it took me to just figure out that first one. Um, and it it's easy to forget, but it's also really, really helpful. Um, number two, this is just general good advice, but get up and move every 30 minutes to an hour. Just move yourself, maybe go in the other room and lie down if you've been sitting a lot. Um, just generally not letting your body settle into the same position for more than 30 to minutes to 60 minutes. Because- oh, I've <laughs> not really been following that one. <laughs> I mean, I fidget a lot. I think it's also good for just a change of scenery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a huge part of it, too, because when I lived at my my old place for three years, it was a studio apartment in Hollywood, and it was tiny. It was like 280 square feet. Wow. And I had nowhere else to go. Yeah. I literally had no other rooms to hide in. And so when I finally got to my place in Burbank, where I was living for a year, and it was amazing because I could get up from my desk and walk into the living room. <laughs> and just that one simple yeah. thing was huge. It was such a relief. It was so refreshing for me. And that and that would just, it made all the difference. Um, reach out to friends, number three. However you can, I feel like people are being pretty great about this, at least the people I know, you know, reaching out, whether it's text or chat. You don't have to make a huge conversation out of it if you don't want, but those are always nice. Just stay connected. Um, and then number four is like, no, seriously, friends and family. Um, in my experience, they are the only surefire way to stave off uh, depression. So, you know, you everyone deals with this stuff, especially now, like literally everyone is dealing with it. And uh, it's the only surefire way that I have found to just stay yourself um, and not in your own head too much. Uh, number five, exercise if you can. Uh, this doesn't mean you have to be like sweating and exhausted. Just go out for a walk around the block. Um, or, you know, if you're able, do a little home workout routine. Obviously, Trevor has done some really great research into um, Fat Kid Dance Camp and, and all of that stuff. Or, sorry, Fat Kid Dance Club, I think. Fat Kid Dance Party. Party. Got there in the end. Um, and there's a lot of great resources that you can find online like those uh, to help you just move yourself and do something a little more active than getting up and walking around from room to room. Um, and hopefully it'll help you kind of keep that cabin fever at bay because, you know, we're all consuming food the same way we normally do, but we're not out in the world as much more, more than likely. So finding a way to sort of burn off that extra energy is, is going to really help you. Number six, this one is a hard one for me to follow because I'm not great with lists, but if you can, create a to-do list with only three things on it. Um, It doesn't matter how inane they seem. It can be something as simple as doing the dishes or literally just reorganize your desk or, you know, go out and lie in the yard. I really like that a lot because I find, well, because I find that the less I do, the less I do the less I do, the less I do. Mm-hmm. And so like, wow, you know, my big event last, you know, my big event yesterday was I clipped my nails. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> or like uh, Trevor yeah, said, true. like Trevor said, you know, he, he took a shower this morning. Now what? <laughs> hey, I also have cleaned a toilet <laughs> and I planned on cleaning another toilet. <laughs> oh, bravo, sweetheart. You bravo. do it. So there's my three things. <laughs> 
And you know what? That's that's exactly the point. Just having a couple things, and you can laugh at the fact that they can be completely mundane and inane. But you know what? You're doing something. You set out. You set a goal for yourself, and you did them. And once you're done, just give yourself a chance to relax, stop, watch YouTube, do whatever you want, enjoy the feeling of accomplishment because you are doing important and useful things. You're taking care of yourself, and that is worth celebrating, even if it seems small. Mm -hmm. uh, number seven. If you can and if you want, try something new and give yourself permission to only do it once if you don't like it. But, you know, maybe try it. I haven't played guitar in about three years, uh, but I mean, hell, <laughs> what else am I going to do right now? But give yourself something to try because I think staying curious about things is one way that we stay alive. And, you know, when you're stuck in your home, it can be hard to come up with stuff. But, um, for instance, I've noticed that uh, there are a ton of advertisements for um, the master classes, like on YouTube, you know, like all different subjects. There's um, just anything you can think of. There's somebody has recorded like Gordon Ramsay has done a master class. He's done two now, I think. And so if you want to learn something new, I mean, maybe you don't have to pay for the whole program, but go out and find something that you're curious about and give it a shot. I've thought about making sock puppets. I think that would be awesome. Oh, <laughs> Trevor, you could give a masterclass in sock puppet making. <laughs> what is a sock puppet? <laughs> what isn't a sock puppet? <laughs> um, and building on that idea, and these are two separate things for a reason, um, but number eight is start a passion project. Now, this is not, I think this is maybe the least required of all of them because not everybody has some big project that they want to do or dive into, but if you have that kind of a mind and there's something that you've been you know thinking about or brewing on or maybe it's not even something you've taken all that seriously but you know like for instance for me i've been working on a sort of dnd style um role-playing game that i've been working on for two years now and i've been putting a lot of time and effort into building the handbook and that is sort of this side passion project that i've had and i have a lot of time that i can put into it now not everybody has that so you know but if you do, sometimes that can just be more rewarding than anything else on this list. Uh, number nine is really, really basic, uh, but I think really important. Eat defined meals, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then some snacks here and there. But like my, for a long time, my, my biggest enemy was just like eating whenever I felt hungry, which translated into eating whenever I was bored. And whenever you're home, <laughs> 24 7 mm. boredom is a real thing and a little shout out to my little sister and her husband max like julia and max have been cooking and doing this amazing job of just like providing a smorgasbord of food and dinner options for me and i get to sort of benefit from that so if you have any way of having even remotely something like that i highly recommend um mm. i think they're still doing like food delivery services so if there's a way to get just a delicious meal like once a week or once a day that can be kind a of lot a of uh, places right now are also offering discounts on mm -hmm. delivery and, and and just food in general because they're so stark for the business mm -hmm. so it's also a good way of supporting restaurants around you that you like that you want to be here in two months yeah absolutely and please tip the shit out of your delivery drivers Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that some restaurants are actually providing something in between where they'll deliver you a ready-made meal. Um, not, I mean, ready-made in the sense of you cook it, like it's all assembled, all the ingredients are put together. It's been prepared kind of like if you were going to mm -hmm. do blue apron or something, but it's being provided by your local restaurant and you know what they make because you order from them. Yeah. I think that's awesome. What was tip 10? Number 10. This is the most important one. As far as I'm concerned, give yourself permission to fail. <laughs> You are allowed to have an off day. You're allowed to feel crappy and down and depressed. It happens to everyone, meaning everyone will be able to relate and to help you. And for that, I refer you to number three, which is reach out to people, especially now. Like it is a relatable situation and you will at some point need to be able to lean on somebody. And I really hope that that person understands this won't last forever. And so right now, what we're focusing on is just getting through the day to day and focusing on right now. I, I like that, Michael. Can, would you agree with this? I know that I'm not the best at reaching out to people because, I mean, I don't like the phone. I have a, I have issues with Skype and, you know, the whole video delay thing. But what I wanted to say is, I don't think 
you ever feel like it. Like you don't go, oh, I think I feel like getting on Skype with my friend so-and-so. I don't think you ever feel like doing it, but you feel better doing it and after you've done it. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, it takes a lot of times, it takes a little bit of buildup to just do it. Yeah. Um, and you can't but I wait always feel better be, afterwards. And you, you can't wait for yourself to be in the mood. You can't wait for yourself to feel like it. You're never going to feel like it. Yeah, definitely. That, that's certainly for me. Yeah. I don't know, Don and Trevor, do you feel the same? Uh, I think so. Yeah. So those are my 10 tips. And uh, I think I feel pretty good about it. I think that's that's kind of everything in my brain that, that could potentially just help you on the day-to-day basis. Um, I think that's awesome. And if any of our listeners have any other suggestions for stuff, go to our Facebook page and post them up there for people to get through this. So since we were talking about crushes this week, um, I thought it might be funny to uh, admit some of our fictional crushes that we've had in our lifetime. Uh, That means people that do not actually exist. Uh, comic book characters, cartoon characters, book characters, probably not like TV shows and stuff. Cause then usually it's just going to be an actor. But, mm-hmm. uh, so for example, I remember like my first fictional crush when I was a kid was a character from a TV show that I'm sure no one but me remembers, uh, called, uh, battle of the planets. Oh yeah. It was a Japanese cartoon. <laughs> Do you remember that? I, I remember the title. I'm not sure I ever saw it, but I certainly flashed by it in my cartoon watching. Yep. <laughs> now, uh, I'm, some people may know it today. They've remade the cartoon and it's called Gachamon now. <laughs> but uh, it was basically an early version of Power Rangers where a bunch of teenagers dressed up in bird costumes and went out and fought invading monsters and alien troops that were attacking the Earth. And there was mm-hmm. this guy on there called Jason. That was the bad boy of the team, the dark-haired mm. uh, brooder who had an the, awesome uh, sports car that shot rockets. See the one with the dark blue cape. Yes, yes, that is the one. Um, my easily my first my first crush at all. I didn't even know why I know it at the time, but uh, there you go. If you could, <laughs> I, if you could take, I liked a cartoon character when I was a kid. <laughs> if you could take Jason on a date, what would what would your date be? Oh, I mean, he does it for work, but. He looked so good flying. I'd want to take him to one of those wind tunnel things where you can (laughs) just, he looked really good flying. That's all I'm saying. Who's up next. I mean, I have one that I've definitely like many human ones, like the, the red power ranger. But in thinking about it, I definitely had a crush on, Oh, this is a, an embarrassing one. Um, and I don't know if anyone will know it. The human form of Darkheart from uh, the Care Bears movie. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. So for those of us who haven't seen the Care Bear movie, oh, I'm seeing. I'm looking at Darkheart right now. That is that is a tracksuit right there. Yeah, that is a tracksuit to be admired. Okay, so Don and Trevor clearly have something for the bad boy type. <laughs> Dan, do you have, yeah. is it possible that you have an answer for this? Um, I sort of do, although I, I, I came to it later in life. It's a cartoon character, Booma, who probably nobody knows because nobody knows this cartoon. Uh, Booma from Super Duper Sumos. Hmm. And you can, you can probably find it somewhere. I, I actually bought the, the videos, but mm-hmm. you, can, <laughs> you can see Super Duper Sumos is a group of three young, attractive sumo wrestlers. And... Uh, their their crime fighting uh, escapades and um, it's, that's awesome. It's really hot. <laughs> it's, and I Boomer feel like just- that has to be <laughs> like the fact that there's a lot of stuff with their butts and like crushing oh, people with their butts, butts yeah. and <laughs> it seems like you're just looking at my butt. Well, yeah. <laughs> is this a mainstream or a fetish cartoon? Oh no, no, it's, it's mainstream. mainstream. This is it was on Nickelodeon. Uh, I know the late nineties, early. It was 2000, 2002 maybe. to two thousand three. Really, it was DIC Entertainment. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. I don't really. Know oh, it's Deke, really. Yeah, uh, wow. and it was on Nickelodeon. But yeah, Booma was my guy. Yeah. Wow. Booma. I will have to look up Booma. You, you just for the visual, just just look up an image from it, and you'll you'll totally get why. Oh my god, so hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so specific, and I feel like it's like this has to be. A chaser, and it's uh, like I imagine it's like they open the wrong file in the pitch meeting, <laughs> and it's like, uh, yeah, it's uh, for you know kids because kids think butts are funny. It's funny. It's not. 
hot? <laughs> Why would someone think that's hot? It's just oh wow, giant. Bus. I have just pulled up a picture of Boomer, and yep, I see what you mean. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> There's Trevor. You got to share this. I got. I'm gonna send this to Trevor. But yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, episode episode 23 of season two is called "I'm Too Sexy for My Butt." <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> well, what about you, Michael? Other than. Uh, we have another Booma fan now, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't seen Booma in action, but based on the still, um, so I have, I actually have one old one and one recent one. Well, I don't know if recent is uh, the old one, and this is from way long ago. I was probably five or six, whenever it was the first time I saw Aladdin, like young kid, and I, it, it's the Sultan, the print, the Jasmine's. Father. Oh. Um, yeah, I get that. Oh, that makes sense. And he's just, yeah, he's super like chipper and sort of innocent and very roly poly. Uh, round. Yep. He's very roly poly and cherubic and delightful. Hilariously, when I was a kid, I don't know how much this says about me, but um, when I was a little, little kid, like again, five, six, four, five, six, somewhere around there, I thought he was her mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't really know why it took me a long time. I just, I guess I just didn't recognize the facial hair or maybe it just didn't matter, but yeah, that's, uh, and I have watched Aladdin hundreds of times. It is my favorite Disney movie. Oh, well, he's very nurturing towards her. He is. He is. He's a good dad. He's a little, you know, he's easily manipulated, but that's his only (laughs) fault. All right. So I'm curious if our listeners have any, uh, secret crushes and, uh, (laughs) <laughs> on cartoon characters, comic book characters, or fictional book characters, um, let us know. And Trevor, where can they do that? Ba-ba-ba-da-ba-ba. We're on Instagram and Twitter as at Big Fat Gay Pod. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. And you can go to the website, www.bigfatgaypod.com, to uh, message us there or see some uh, lovely things that we talked about on the episode page. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're still in quarantine listening there's someone behind you and they're about to cough (coughs) so cover your mouth (laughs) 